Hi, I'm Terry Zabolski, pastor of Grace Community Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's message. I hope and trust that God's Word is a blessing to you as you live for Him each and every day. We're going to look this week and next on this theme, what does a Christian look like? From Galatians 5, Paul wrote uh, this book. To, it's uh, in modern-day Turkey, Galatia, and uh, he, on his first missionary journey, established a number of churches in that area, and uh, he writes this letter back to them. That's what it is, an epistle. He wrote it back because there, there was a problem there in this uh, a gathering of churches, that they were somehow as Jewish folks swinging back into Judaism. But in the midst of this, I thought uh, of his writing, because he's really challenging them, because lest they partake of another gospel that, uh, and be lost, because there's only one gospel, that they really examine themselves. Now, look, you and I are to examine ourselves. Our hearts are such despicably rotten to the core. Now, you can be nice, and you can smell good, and you sure look good and smell good today. But i got to tell you, there's a rotten fruit in your heart and mind. It's a rotten root, actually. You got from your mom and dad, and it goes way back. And uh, uh, it's called a sin nature. It's called the flesh. Different words are used for it. And you and I are capable of doing horrible things, really. We can do the most wonderful things, you know, but we're capable of the other. I, uh, when I see the news media talking about a mass murder and they talk about that, uh, typically a man, how can he do that? What is he like? He's so different than us. I got news for you. He's not. He isn't, really. And so Paul's going to deal with this. And uh, the call in the Scriptures for each one of us to examine our own hearts to make sure we're found genuinely saved. That means you're a Christian. A lot of folks that fill pews and churches and walk aisles, raise hands, sign cards, pray prayers that are not saved. They're lost. Uh, there's not the fullness of fruit uh, that give evidence of new birth that ought to be in their life. Every one of us ought to do that. Now, some get upset when I teach this. They get very unnerved, and then they, they don't sleep at night and all that. And then, Am I saved? I think I'm lost, and, and so on and so forth. And it goes, but... But needless to say, I need to press this, you know, because if through it, one person examines says, you know what, I don't think that's truly really saved. I, I, I want to make sure it's worth it. Amen? It's worth it. It really is. And so the call to Scripture, and I'm just a delivery guy here. I didn't make the message. My job is to deliver it with 2020 clarity if I can, and that's what I want to do. Well, what's a Christian look like? Well, uh, going uh, to my early years of school, during a nutty period of time during the 60s, seems like a long time ago to some of you, good pastors, and they were good on the gospel, had in their mind what they thought a Christian ought to look like. And, uh, you know, it was the anti-long hair day and the anti-this and anti-that. And if you're a Christian, you'll do this. I heard whole sermons on that kind of thing. You know, get saved and get your hair cut. Yeah, kind of, kind of thing. And, uh, you know, I understand their heart, and they're reacting to seismic cultural changes that they sense were taking place. 
It was uh, the throwing off of the restraint of a memory of Christian virtue and practice in homes and lives in the community. And it was being chucked out the window uh, to a sense of lawlessness. I can do whatever I want to do. I'm God. You know, well, listen, there's nothing new under the sun. Read your Bible. It goes right back to the first chapters. You'll find that's what man's been doing. There's nothing new. There really is nothing new. Even this day we live in a postmodernism where this idea that truth is subjective, you know, well, that's true for you, but this is true for me, and they're opposites, but we're both right, and that kind of thing. Just read Judges, it's the same thing. The book of Judges, every man did what was right in his own, what? Eyes, that's right. That sounds like today, doesn't it? Just kind of tear off the restraint. I want to do what I want to do. That's fine with you. Just, you know, realize when you're driving down the street, please stay on the right side. You say, well, going on the other side is right for me. Please don't do that, especially if my kids are driving. You know, we live in a world that... Uh, People, the utter rebelliousness that's in all of our hearts by nature, and it is. And we want to tear that off and just be our own God and do whatever we want. That's in all of us, even this guy. Well, what does a Christian look like? I once had an esteemed professor, and Stephen did as well, uh, Rembert Carter, who would often say, and Faith he did as well, in three ways we belong to the Lord. Have you ever thought of this? In three ways... He would say, you belong to the Lord. First way is God made you. He's our creator. And we ought to every day thank God that he made us. And it's fabulous when you look at the body and the way God made our bodies. Incredible. I was talking to Mark. We need to pray for Mark. Mark's under the weather with flu. He really has it in a bad way. Debbie said he's not been sick like that ever, right? Yeah. He lost eight pounds. He didn't have eight pounds to lose. Yeah. Wow. I was talking to Mark on Wednesday night at prayer meeting how fearfully and wonderfully we made we are. Think of it, how God made us with the ability to heal, right? To some extent, right? If uh, you lose, you know, you can you lose half your liver and it'll grow back, the other half. It's one of the rare organs of the body that'll do that. Isn't that neat? Or you get a gash in your hand. I get that a lot. You get a gash and you put a Band-Aid, an antiseptic, and it heals, it's phenomenal. Imagine if a car did that. Yeah, yeah, the kids wrecked the front end. Of it. It, it'll be doing better in about two weeks. You know? <laughs> you know? Yeah, my computer went down again. Yeah, it crashed. It's utterly just, it, it, it'll heal, though. It'll get better. You know, I, it's just phenomenal how God made us. And then the sensory, five senses. How about the eye? It's just amazing. Uh, the systems of the body, the complexity of the cell. Listen, you are fearfully and wonderfully made, and we, we need to bow down to God as our creator. You didn't self-make yourself. I got news for you. If you think you did, I got a bridge for you somewhere. Impossible. So God made us. Second, he saved us. If you've claimed the name of Christ as your Lord and Savior, he bought you. That's the language of the marketplace. That's what it means to be redeemed. He bought you with the precious blood of Christ. That meant he died in your place. So he made us. He's our creator. Second, he redeemed us. And that uh, he bought us. We are not our own. Galatians 2.20. Uh, 1 uh, Corinthians 6.19 and 20 and so on. And so we are his. But the third way, and this is a way a lot of times we don't even think about, he's, he is sanctifying us. 
sanctifying us. Well, sanctifying, that's sanctification. It's a 50-cent word, but you ought to know it if you've been saved very long, even though it's, it's based on the Latin, sancta, santos, holy, uh, or sanctify, to make holy. It's the process whereby God is taking a believer who we made, then he's saved, then he, through the process of time, he is making you and he's making me into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Doesn't mean you're going to look like him, but your character, your heart, your inner disposition will be more and more like Christ. So that you're not what you were. He is making you like the Lord Jesus. He's preparing you and he's preparing me for heaven. What a wonderful reality it is, isn't it, for us as Christians to know that we belong to him. The Lord is my shepherd. Someone said the word my is the most wonderful word in the whole 23rd Psalm, and I, I tend to agree with that. The Lord is my shepherd. He is mine, and I am his. Isn't that wonderful? We belong to him. He is ours. Well, if you know Christ the Lord as Savior, you're being prepared for heaven. Your construction job. You're, uh, you're in the midst of uh, uh, being rebuilt. You love those. People love those. Faithy told me last night how she loves to see how they take a, a house or a building or a kitchen and they renovate it and they take this, this disastrous place and it turns out like, wow, look at that show place. That's unbelievable how they do that. Beautiful. They got the whole thing out. That looks like the most fun sledgehammer, smashing the walls down and tearing out the cupboards and all that kind of thing. But in, in a way, that's a good way of thinking about what God is doing in your life. He is reconstructing you from the inside out to make you, through this thing called sanctification, into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Well, it's God's work. It's God's work. It's not your, well, I'm just going to work on getting better. Can't do it. Impossible. God in you. He works in you both to will and to desire of his good will. And he makes you able. Well, there are many who claim to know Christ, but live life in a pattern of gross sin. They'll say, well, I'm saved. I know Christ. I name his name, but their life gives no telltale sign, in fact, no fruit, as we say, that they really belong to Christ. And then there are others who claim to know Christ, and commit sin, even gross sin, we're capable of that, in fear that somehow they're lost. That happens. And I have spent times with, with folks on, on both of those uh, situations. Well, Paul certainly helps us with these uh, issues. If we have time at the end, we'll take a few questions. So if you have them, write them down, and we'll try and respond to that. There are, in our text this morning, Galatians 5, two contrasting influences producing very different results, revealing our true spiritual condition. Two contrasting influences. In a word, it's, it's the flesh or the work of the flesh. Work of the flesh or the works of it. And the second is the fruit of the Spirit. They're the two contrasting influences. And uh, they produce a wholly different uh, results in your life and mine. Well, look at Galatians 5. Let's read our text. Look, we'll pick it up at verse 16. As Paul's trying to straighten out these uh, believers. We think a good number of them were believers. 
Some weren't, but a, a number were, trying to straighten them out on this whole issue of living the Christian life. Verse 5.16, So I say, walk or live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh or the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other so that you cannot do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Now the acts of the flesh or sinful nature are obvious. And he gives a catalog here. Uh, Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. It means by that that it's not an exhaustive list. It's kind of the idea but uh, there are others that he doesn't mention, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. You're not saved. Heaven will not be yours. Now here's the contrast. Here's the second influence. But the fruit of the Spirit is, there are nine of them, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not be conceited, provoking and envying each other. Well, the first contrasting influence is that of the works of the flesh, Roman numeral one. These are, these are the deeds that are produced by our own unregenerate nature. These are the things that you and I do by birth. You don't need a class in it. We need all kinds of classes to learn this and that, technical skills and whatnot. You don't need a class. Don't even need to go to kindergarten. This just kind of effervesces from the, the corruption that you and I inherited in inheriting a human nature that's been corrupted by sin that we receive from our parents. These are the things that come naturally to us. NIV, in the International Version of the Bible, calls it, as we just read, the sinful nature. The King James uh, is a more literal translation in this regard. It calls it the flesh, the flesh, that, uh, that which is debased, and, uh, and and that corrupting influence within. Well, Jesus made it clear, did he not, in the Gospels, that your basic problem with life is not what is outside of us, and there's plenty outside of us. I mean, we live in a corrupted society. You know, you can read your Bible, and uh, that's one thing, and then just go read your newspaper, and you'll discover the the living out of the truth of the Bible. I mean, it's appointed unto man once to die, then the judgment. Well, that's the obituary page. And then in this world you have tribulations and troubles, and people rise up against others and steal and hurt and murder and kill, right? That's the front page and the second page. The opinion page, who really cares, right? (laughs) Thank you for your opinion. Sit down. (laughs) God's usually not too impressed by that. But uh, he made, Jesus made clear our problem is not so much outside of us, though there is the world and its rebellious system that we live in. It's 
like swimming in a polluted stream, it's true, but our major problem is within. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 7, verses 20 to 23, the Lord uh, talking to uh, the religious leaders of that day who were chiding him for the disciples eating grain in the field without first ceremonially washing their hands. He goes on to, uh, to instruct them, and then he says, what comes out of man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of man's heart, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. And these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. You're saying, it's, look, it's not, it's not the things on the outside that make a person really, in the ultimate sense, dirty. As a little boy, I used to love to find dirt, or at least my mother thought so. I'd be gone for the day and come back, and I was filthy from one end to the other. That was, incidentally, the sign to a, to a young boy of a good day. Amen? Amen. Yeah, that's right. You know, man, you could see the whites of his eyes. I remember her saying that. Look at this. We've got to hose him off out in the garage first, you know, kind of thing. Well, that's the kind of dirt, and we get it on the outside, right? But that's not the kind of dirt that really is the ultimate uh, problem that we have. It's the stuff on the inside that comes out in our thoughts that are our hateful thoughts or divisive thoughts or envying or jealous thoughts or murderous thoughts or, 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 uh, or lustful thoughts, etc., right? And then even work their way into the things we do. It's the heart. It's the heart, Jesus is saying. And that we are born spiritually dead and lost in sin, and sin is what sinners do. That's what we are by nature. Well, the works of the flesh characterize the life pattern of a lost man or woman. doesn't mean that we do all these uh, to the extreme. We don't. We don't. But uh, we do this or that, or at certain times, that one or this thing. We do, and uh, it's wrong. It's, it's sin, and God knows all about it, and so do we, and uh, it generated from our heart. Sometimes people say, well, I did that without thinking. You know, that's really not true. I know what we mean when we say that, with a little thought, or we did it spontaneously or something, but everything begins with a thought. It begins with a thought. Our thoughts direct us. Man uh, kind, men and women, live in the realm of their thinking, and then they carry it out. Not everything, thank the Lord for that. Man, life is bad, but it would be a whole lot worse. There was a day, incidentally, when the world was that way, and God destroyed mankind, all but eight people in a boat. Our heart, that's the problem. Well, B, Paul tells of the struggle, then, between the flesh and the spirit. And the victory is only found as we walk in the Spirit. That's, he began by that. Live, that's verse 16, live by the Spirit. Actually, it's the word for walking in the Greek. Walk in the Spirit, which uh, means that uh, we live under the Holy Spirit's influence and control. It means that we hear the Word and we consciously build it into our life. We open our ears, our heart, we hear the Word, we deal with sin. Yes, we repent. Yes, Lord, help me to obey. 
And we walk in the Spirit in a way, in a lifestyle that is pleasing to the Lord. That's what that means. Obedience. The struggle between the flesh and the Spirit. Now, when you're saved, that doesn't leave. doesn't leave you. So if you're saying, well, you know, like I'll get these times where I'm just overwhelmed with uh, thoughts that are not good of all sorts. So does that mean I'm not saved? No, that does not mean you're not saved. You see, there's not the eradication, the removal of that sinful bent once you're saved. It's still there. It's, uh, it's weakened. You have a new disposition, the Holy Spirit, and you're growing in grace. But there still is a struggle there. That's what Paul's talking about. He's talking about living by the Spirit and not fulfilling the lust of the flesh, recognizing the conflict. Now, he's going to categorize, categorize see, the, the works of the flesh in three general areas. <clears throat> and, uh, and he does so, and I have it on your sheet. Uh, one, the, one, the first category are sexual sins. Second are man-made religious sins or religion, false religion sin. And third one deals with human relationships. Someone said, I could, uh, I could do well if there weren't any other people around, right? <laughs> I'm not so sure about that. But human relationships are the third category. In the sexual sins, uh, he, he gives us three. Sexual immorality, which uh, is fornication. Uh, that is, uh, it's, it's a general word. Fornication is a general word that describes all sorts of sexual uncleanliness. And you and I can... Think of just what that might mean. It's a general word. It's not a specific word like adultery. Adultery is uh, sexual infidelity uh, uh, of a married man or woman. That's a greater sin, incidentally, because that violates the sin of, uh, of, uh, of the marriage vows to God, as well as uh, the sexual infidelity at that point. The Greek word, you know it, I've said it enough, is pornea. Pornography comes from that, pornea. Uh, a second word on the sexual sin here, these works of the flesh that we may battle but not live in as a pattern of living as a believer is impurity. Catharsis, some of you are familiar with the word carthetic or catharsis. This is uh, the, uh, the alpha negates it, a catharsis or or uncleanliness is the idea. It's, uh, here it refers to moral defilement. It includes even our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. He's saying that that's, a, that's one of the works of the flesh. That's not of the Spirit. If you know Christ, claim to know Him, and you're walking in the Spirit, these things ought not be a part of your life. They are. You need to deal with it. Ask the Lord to forgive you and walk away from it. Debauchery, there's a word for you. Probably never use that word in your day-to-day -day language. Uh, it's, it's a word, though, that describes the direction of our cultures, uh, if I sense, if I'm in the right thinking on this, uh, where it's an unrestrained sexual indulgence, exuding in no shame at all, just throwing off any and everything. I just... You know, not girls gone wild, but everybody gone wild kind of a thing, you know. That, that's debauchery. It's often accompanied with, with uh, alcohol, which would lower the, uh, uh, the sense of uh, one holding a restraint 
on it, and they, a lot of times it goes it goes together and drunken type of things like this you can imagine, and and that's uh, we're moving fast toward that, aren't we? Open. It's there's a there's an openness to it, just public, just shameless in, in whatever. It, it's funny if we could bring back Christians uh, that lived a hundred years ago that love the Lord, love the Word like we do. And they could see the society today, they'd be like, shocked. What went on? What happened? They'd be horrified. Just watching a normal movie or TV program, they'd go like, I can't believe it. You know, it's like boiling frogs all over again. You know how to boil frogs, right? You, You get a pot of hot water and you don't get the water hot and throw the frog in, he'll jump out and go like, whoa, that's hot. <laughs> no way, I'm out of here. You put him in, he just put it on simmer, let it heat up a little bit, a little bit, a little bit over time, and before you know it's, oh, this spa is so nice. <laughs> Next thing you know, you're eating their legs. They're cooked, they're done, you know, they're cooked. Yeah, and that's, that's the way it goes with the cultural declension. You know, bit by, if there was a, a draft 100 years ago, just fast forward quickly here, they'd be like shocked, they'd be storming Washington, they'd be, what is going on? They'd be throwing half the pastors out of the pole. You're not preaching the word, you know, they'd be burning the TV sets. But we go like, oh, what's wrong with this stuff? You know, like, it seems all right to me. Has, hasn't it always been this way? No. No. But that's our culture. Second, that they're the sexual sins. Verse 20 are the man-made or religious religions. And he says idolatry and witchcraft. Well, idolatry is, uh, is the worship of idols. We know that. Or it's anything. It's really anything that has first place in your life, the place that belongs to God alone. You know you were made to worship. You were made to worship God. God built you that way. If you have a four-wheel Jeep, your Jeep was made to go off-road. You like that. You go down to the Outer Banks and drive along the beach there, Route, uh, what is that? route, route 1. That was great fun. We did that one time or two. Great fun it is. Made for that. Do you know you weren't built for that, but you were built to worship God? You were. We are very different from uh, other animals that, that, uh, that fill this world. Uh, we enjoy that God... Uh, made to teach us about himself and to give us companionship and all the rest. You think you're cats and dogs and parakeets and fish and African frogs and whatever it is you have, mice and all that kind of thing, right? Do you know what? Your dog never worshiped God. Never. The rabbits, we have little rabbits in our backyard. They don't gather together Sunday morning and say, let's worship our creator. They, they don't do that. They don't. Let's have a prayer meeting. Thought never occurred to them. They're not, they're not made in the image of God. They're not made that way. But God made man and women in his likeness. He built us to worship. And men and women will worship. They'll either worship the Lord God that is, or they will worship something as a false substitute. They'll worship and serve themselves, or they'll worship and serve things, or they'll, you know, in some of the... The degenerate pagan backward uh, cultures, rocks and stones and, and brass and gold things, and you know. Well, idolatry. So, second one is witchcraft. Uh, that uh, is the word pharmakia. We get pharmacy from. Sorcery, a lot of times, 
the uh, sorcerer would use uh, natural type things, boil them down, make his potions, drugs. That's where the idea of pharmaceutical, pharma, Dan, that's pharma, uh, comes right from this word. It was initially a good word to help in medicinal purposes, but but was used and and has been and is used even in our world today in various parts uh, in satanic worship, practice of sorcery, uh, the occult and black magic. These are works of the flesh, Paul is saying. And finally, uh, the third category, human relationships. They're defiled uh, by the sins that are listed. And, and there's, uh, these include, and we read them, uh, hatred. Think of what that does to, to uh, human relationships between family members and, and friendships in a church. These things should never be mentioned, but they destroy and hurt the other flesh. Hatred, discord, jealousy. You know, you want what someone else has. You're not happy for them. It is destructive to human relationships. It's of the flesh. It's not of God. You ever see in the gospel Jesus was jealous? You're jealous of 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 uh, someone else uh, of the religious leaders because they were the leaders and they had the awe of the people and 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 he never, never, never. It's never of God. It's of the flesh. It's of the devil, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition. I'm going to run over people, or people are expendable. They exist for my advancement. That's evil. Some of the things you read about Wall Street and all that went on and that's going on down there with the financial collapse, collapse of some of those institutions and uh, the enormous uh, uh, short-term desire to get the stock up, to get the big bonus, uh, to uh, really care less about selfish ambition, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, carousing. These are these are based. These are 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 not of heaven. They're not of the spirit. And we could add on and on and on and the like. He tells us that in verse twenty-one. These things and the like come from that sinful. Well, well, Paul, what's your point? Indeed, what's what's your point in all this? Well, Paul concludes in verse 21, let's reread that again, where he says, And I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this, in other words, it's the pattern of their life. It's not a one, I did it once, oh, I'm lost. But the character of a of, uh, of man or woman's life who claims to know Christ, who lives like this, is not saved, is lost. That's what he's saying. Uh, it's the word practice. You do, the, if you live like this or practice these things on a continual basis, you'll not inherit the kingdom of God. Another word for heaven. Well, does that mean that Christians who fall into these sins are lost? The answer is found in his words. Those who live like this are practiced, for it indicates a durative, ongoing action. It's continual. Habitual practice that marks an unregenerate man or woman and therefore, at that point in their life, unless they get saved, they're barred from heaven. Well, that's the work of the flesh, and we probably know it all too well, uh, at least I do, and it's something I'm not going to miss in heaven. You know, when you get to heaven, there'll be some things I won't miss. How about you? No more funerals, no more obituaries, no more tears. How about that? No more sickness. I'll go for that. One thing I won't miss is my sin bent. 
Good riddance, goodbye. I'm going to be look better than ever, and so will you if you're there and you know Christ, right? Won't miss that thing. Take it out to the ash heap and burn it. <laughs> Won't be there. Wow. Praise the Lord. The works of the flesh will finally be gone. Well, there's a second contrasting influence, and this, these are the evidence of sanctification in your life. This is what a Christian ought to look like from the heart outward. You're going to give the nine fruits. We're going to look at the first three today. We'll come back next week and see the, the other six. But the fruit of the Spirit, this is what is produced in the life of every true believer. It's produced by the Holy Spirit, verse 22. But the contrast, the strongest possible word in the Greek, Allah, for, for contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. This is sanctification whereby we're being changed in the likeness of Jesus. This is what a believer, a genuine one, really looks like. It's a change from within. Now the fruit, uh, the word fruit is singular. Notice the acts. In the NIV it says, verse 19, the acts of the sinful nature, acts is plural, but in verse 22, fruit, though there are nine of that are indicated, is singular. It's a collective singular. It's, uh, it's more like uh, thinking about a bunch of grapes rather than separate fruits. There's a collective unity to this. Also, a contrast, the works of the flesh, not all of us, uh, though we commit many overlapping sins, don't commit all the sins that could be committed. Right? We don't. Thank God for that. But in the fruit of the Spirit, all of these ought to be evidenced to some degree in an increasing way in your heart and life if you know Christ. And so these ought to be there. That's a great telltale measure. You say, Lord, am I really saved? Maybe you were really young, like I, I was young. And my mom and the pastor preaching the gospel, God opened my heart and saved me that day. Remember that? Some of you uh, prayed with mama. Some of you better be careful. Well, mama told me I prayed, and she told me what to pray. Well, you're trusting your mother's prayer. Not to say, be careful about that. Anyway, I'm not so concerned about, don't tell me about something back then. Something back then better have happened, but I want to know where are you right now. That's what the Scriptures teach. Where are you right now? Where is the evidence that you are truly saved and that you are Christ and growing like Christ? Christ-likeness, I mean. Well, that's sanctification. Remember, we're three times His. Well, the first fruit is God is making us into loving people who self-sacrifice for others. Love, agape. Most of us know the word in the Greek, agape. Uh, this is placed first because I think it's of paramount importance. It is probably the basis and the, and the groundswell for all the other fruits that come from this. God is love. We read that in 1 John uh, chapter, uh, well, let's look at this. Uh, Romans 13.10, love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Paul wrote that to the Romans in Romans 13. In 1 John 4, 8, we discover that whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. It's a predicate adjective, not a predicate nominative. It describes what God is, but it's not all that God is, 
but we say that God is love. And so is it any wonder it follows that since God is love and we are his children, we are being made like him. There are family resemblances, you know. And uh, if you, we could see your various family, if we brought them in here, your mother, your dad, your grandparents, your brother and sister, and if you have children, then, and, and, and there are family striking resemblances. You know, for good or for bad. Say, I wish I didn't look like the other bunch, you know. But that's the way it is. And there is a striking resemblance of those that know Christ. Mm -hmm. It's called the love of God. It's shed abroad in your heart. It's not something you work up, say, I'm going to really work this up today. No, just walk in the Spirit, love the Lord, strive the way, and the love of Christ will flow through you in increasing ways. And you'll deny yourself. You'll be thinking, husbands, you'll be thinking, well, what, do, what does she want to do? Or friend, you'll be thinking of your friends or someone in need, and what, what do they need? And you'll be thinking of others first, and not me, myself, and I, which we do intuitively, which is of the flesh. It's selfish. It's the love of God in you. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. This love is not an emotion. Don't be confused. The word... Is used in so many ways today that destroys its meaning. You know, how, what does love mean when I, you know, I love beautiful days like this, and I love flowers, and I love pizza, and I love chocolate ice cream, and I love kisses from my granddaughter. And I, what, what in the world does love mean, you know? Well, the word means several things, and the Greek had several different words trying to describe it, and this is the highest, most loftiest of all the expressions in the Greek, Agape, agape love. It's, uh, it's the unselfish love. It's not an emotion whatsoever. It's a love of choice. We are to love all others. It's not the Philadelphia. You've heard of Philias or Philadelphia. That's the city of brotherly love. Faith is from Philadelphia. And they were all, I went down there a date, or they're all hugging everybody down. It's just a wonderful place. And they're hugging you and they're lifting your wallet at the same time and your watch and your keys. Be careful, they're very close down there. Actually, they did steal my car down there at one time. My brother b borrowed it. He <laughs> borrowed it. <laughs> and uh, the police, the fraternal organization, did return it. So it was very, very nice. And they must have needed the radio because they just kept borrowing that. So <laughs> it's a wonderful way. That's a different kind of love. That's familial love or family love. That's a I like you type love. Uh, let me make the, uh, the, the, the distinction clear. In John 3.16, God so loved the world, he made a choice to, set, uh, to, to, uh, to do that which is the very best for the world. That's what that means. It doesn't mean that God so loved the world that... Uh, he just felt so wonderful about the world, and he, he just uh, felt good like liking it. Oh, they're just so likable, those people down there. <laughs> just draw them close and take some home. No, not, none of the above there. None of the above. And God is making you and me through his Spirit, as we walk in the Spirit as Christians in this thing called sanctification, into the loving people who self-sacrifice for others. It's a blessed thing, isn't it, to see that? We become givers of time and givers of our talent, and we care for people. We put our armor on them. We give them a hug. We pray for them. We call them. We send them a note. We, 
We spend, you know what I mean? People we don't even know that well, maybe. It's the love of Christ in us. There's a second of this fruit of the Spirit, and that is be God causes us to experience deep joy within our hearts. The joy of God, no matter what befalls us. Joy, love, joy. Someone said if there's love, joy certainly is not going to be far behind, and that's right. Joy. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. Joy. It's found in, in every single book of the New Testament. Joy or rejoicing. It's the thing that makes Christians unusual. And that's right well the way it should be. Faith and I were fellowshipping a week or two ago at the coffee shop, and, uh, and some of you guys were there, and they came over and tried to... to to keep us from talking so loud and laughing and joyful. We were just, just fellowshipping, right? And uh, you guys are loud over here, just rejoicing and celebrating the wonder of friendship and joy in the Lord and all that. Listen, the world doesn't know anything about that. Uh, theologians call it the, the sweet eternal felicity of God. You know God is happy. Some of you have the wrong idea about God. You think he's just an ogre? He's mad gotcha, type of, no way. God is eternally at bliss. He's holy, he's righteous, he's almighty, he has a plan that includes all things, but he is joyful and rejoicing. Zephaniah 3, 17, the Lord our God sings. And it's the joy, this joy produced in your heart and mind as a believer, giving evidence that you are truly saved from the heart out is really the joy of God that passes through you. It's a great thing. Ah, there are a lot of things to be down about in life. Faith and I often say that. We understand why people take drugs and, and maybe harm themselves and maybe take their life. I mean, if they didn't know Christ, it's a bummer. It's a, just living life in a post-Genesis 3 world. Dying, you will die indeed. And look at this, what a turnabout. You come to Christ, you walk with him in obedience, and God gives you a skip in your walk and joy, the opportunity to serve him, and you know in your heart of hearts as the days pass, the best is yet to come. It's like you ain't seen nothing yet, baby. I mean, it's just, wow. No wonder he says rejoice in the Lord, and again I say rejoice. Even in the face of trouble, God's spirit produces an inner joy. Because we know that he's sovereign. He always does that which is best. Even when we can't see it. And many times we cannot see it. We walk by faith, not by sight. Now joy is not happiness. Know the difference. Happiness is the closest parallel that the world can do. Uh, happiness is based on circumstances. Everything's going my way. Was that Frank Sinatra? It might have been. I don't know. That, that's happiness. That's pretty thin, pretty veneer. It doesn't reach any depths. It's joy is even in the face of, of sorrow. Uh, not that we bubble over and we're laughing at such times. No, we're genuine and real people. When we hurt, we hurt. But there is within our sense, the sense that God does all things well. One man writes, This joy is the sunshine that ever beams in the heart for the believer. It's wonderful. It really is. Dr. Kent writing, joy is not merely a cheerful nature toward others, but the enablement of the believer to rejoice in all circumstances of life, even in the trials. 
And it prevents us, I think this is important, it prevents us from giving way to total despair. I saw a clip uh, uh, on TV uh, the other night, was it? Someone, some woman, this poor lady, poor dear lady, she has Parkinson's, and she had invested everything she had with Madoff. And uh, she got a call from her broker and said that, uh, have you seen the TV? And she said, no. And he said, well, turn it on. She turned it on, and then she said, well, how much did we lose? And, she, and the broker said, we lost it all. Two million dollars she had. She thought she had. Gone. And then she talked about the poor thing. You just had to have pity in your heart for this gal. She was completely hopeless. She said she threw herself on the floor. She began pounding and pounding and pounding the floor because all was lost. You see, God gives us joy in the face of the ups and downs, particularly the downs, so that in the midst of it, when we might be tempted to think that all is total despair, we know in our heart of hearts that it really is not. Joy, love, joy. A wonderful thing. Don't you love to be around joyful, rejoicing people? Who likes to be around people that look like they need, uh, they've been sucking on lemons or something, right? We, we usually run from people like that, right? You got an afternoon off. Who do you want to spend time with? Oh, I'll take that sourpuss in the corner. No, we don't. We don't think that way. We go like, uh-uh, I'm going the other way fast, right? We like to be around people that are joyful, Happy, content, that's what God, and it ought to be that way as it comes to the surface of our life. Loving, tender-hearted, self-sacrificing people. People who experience deep joy in their hearts. That's what God is doing. And finally, the third fruit we'll look at is, see, God provides us with un unexplainable peace of mind. Unexplainable peace of mind, peace some have called it the quietness of the soul. It's the opposite of dread. Stabilizes the heart. Peace. We have that only because we have peace with God. You see, the cross makes peace with God. We were at enmity. That means hostile, fighting against God. It's the peace with God, that's salvation, that results in the peace of God. That is this fruit we're looking at. This calmness of heart and soul and mind when days seem dark. Since uh, one, we're no longer the enemies of God through the cross, we have peace with Him. Now the Spirit provides us with the tranquility of mind, the calmness when trouble besets us. And it's given on a daily basis. You know, some people face great trial and we watch that. We go like, I could never do that. And that's true. You, you couldn't as it stands. But you know what? God is orchestrating your life to you, and he gives peace on a daily basis, and he will give you what you need for that day. He will. doctor told me, uh, what, three weeks ago, and he says, well, he said, your hip shot. You need a total new hip. Well, now, when I got up that morning, I was not thinking that. I was not thinking that. I told him, wait, I said, and my immediate response was, oh, great, that's all I need. I said, I thought you were going to tell me I need to wear better shoes. He did laugh at that. He thought that was funny, but I, I did. I thought maybe I'm stop buying the cheap things and 
My mother said, wear good shoes. You know, clean underwear, good shoes. You could have an accident, you know, you know. He said, nah, look at the x-ray here. Your, that joint is shot. You need a new retread. Oh, boy. Well, you know, I trust the Lord. He orchestrates my life. I, I've had some strange things happen up and down, but God gives peace. I wish it was today. You get it done with, frankly. Hanging out there on the calendar 60 days, that's no fun. But I guess there's a lot of people in line to get it done before me. And I don't know what's going to come in your life today or tomorrow, the next day. Who can say? You know, Dave uh, found he had a carotid artery, 98% blocked. Wow, look at this. One thing after another. It's called life. I'll never forget being at Holy Spirit Hospital and seeing a dear saint, Tom Pollock. Some of you know Tom. Maybe a few of you do. But Tom was an older man, and... Uh, uh, his, he had suffered great, great loss when he was a younger man with his family and his young boy. And living in Harrisburg, he was sitting on the porch, and his young boy, I, I don't remember what he was, six or seven, ran out into the street right in front of them, and they watched him get hit by a car and killed right in front of him. And the tears that flowed from that and the weeping, and they never forgot it. Uh, just that kind of loss just takes my breath away. Really, it does, doesn't it? It's not, not right. There's something to an order of death that uh, parents and grand ought to die before children, grandchildren, and, but does doesn't always happen as we know. And I happened to be at the hospital the day when the surgeon and the radiologist came by. I was there with his dear wife, and uh, the doctor closed the door and said, "Tom." We've got the results back, and uh, you've got cancer of the liver. And uh, we don't think you have very many uh, months, just a couple. And to, and to one, that's, a, that's, a, that's a very sober moment. And yet I had a, God gave me a front row seat to see Tom. Tom at that point responded in a way that I it just, I'll never forget. He let go a, a praise the Lord God is so good. That means, doctor, don't worry. That you could see the doctor was really reticent to deliver this bad news, as you can imagine. And Tom's, he looked like the picture of the glow of Christ, that he was soon going to be going home. He was looking forward to seeing his son and other loved ones, and God has given me such a rich life. And I thought, there was the evidence in 2020 of the peace of God that passes all understanding. I'm sure that doctor maybe never saw anything quite like that. I'm sure he's seen people throw themselves on the floor and pound it, like that dear lady with Parkinson's that lost her bank account and never saw someone respond like Tom. And bit by bit, it was as the doctor had said, and uh, it was my joy to conduct Tom's funeral. And, and that was a graduation service, i got to tell you. There was rejoicing that we missed Tom, but we know that we'll see him in short order. That's the fruit of the Spirit. That's what God is producing in every life. If you know Christ the Lord as your Savior, love, joy, peace. You can't define it. You can't describe it. God gives it and gives it to us on a daily basis to sustain us. 
Well, what does a Christian look like? Lessons for our life. What does he look like? Uh, let's just recap this and we'll be done. Increasingly, you and I are to look like Christ in our hearts and our character. From the heart outward. That's what a Christian looks like. It has nothing to do with the, you know, how many times you shower or what you wear or the length of your hair or any of these things but it's the image of Christ within you. Number two, to have love, joy, and peace in your life, I remind you, you must first be saved. And walking in the Spirit, you may be here and not saved. You never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ to be your Savior. That invitation is always open. Don't let the day pass. If you've never settled this, if this message has lifted the cover on some doubts, you say, Lord, I'm not sure on this thing. Then ask the Lord, kneel by your bed, the Lord Jesus, be merciful unto me, a sinner. I receive you as my Lord and as my God. God will save you. But as we saw, it's not enough just simply to be saved. You must be walking in the Spirit, and walking in obedience. And so uh, for you to have love, joy, and peace means you begin the day with the Lord. May your best thoughts and your earliest thoughts be of the Lord. Open the Word and read it. Read a psalm. Read the Proverbs. Spend a longer time with it. Pray. Pray for God's blessing in your life. Worship Him. Adore Him. Pray for the needs of the church family, of your family. Pray for wisdom and strength for your daily travels and challenges that you have. Meet with Him. And as you go your way, there'll be a, a whistle, so to speak, and a joy and a peace. Now, whatever he does, he does well. Number three, if the flesh dominates your life, this is a problem, and it may indicate, as I said earlier, that you're not saved. And only you can measure that. These are internal things, like the internal department. These are things that only you can measure. I can. It would be great if everyone's eyes turned like chartreuse when they got saved. Hey, are, am I saved? Let me see your eyes. Yeah, you're in. You know? It doesn't happen that way. But there ought to be all sorts of fruit in your life. And if you're dominated, that's the key word, the pattern of living in the flesh, then you have every reason to say, you know what, I don't, I don't know what happened back there, but it didn't stick and I'm probably not saved. That would trouble me very, very deeply. And I hope it does you. Number four, Remember, since a Christian still has an old nature, there's still going to be an ongoing conflict with it. Don't be surprised by that, thinking somehow you're abnormal. No, you're normal. You're normal. This conflict of the, of the two strifes, the bent within that you were born with, the new nature and disposition to please the Lord. And number five and last, the key is yield your life to the Lord. Lord, I give you my life. I pray that way every day. Lord, I give my life to you. And sometimes I'll go through and I'll describe my hands, my feet, my eyes, my ears, my tongue, my mind. I give myself to you. Use me today. Be a blessing to all that I should meet. May I be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. May I be a part of the building of the church of Christ. And may I do that today. Use me, Lord, in the way that you deem best. Yield yourself. Yield yourself. <laughs>